Welcome to the bone-chilling story of Jennifer and Sarah Hart. This is a story of darkness, cruelty, and unspeakable horror. Jennifer and Sarah are a lesbian couple who have adopted six children, all of whom are vulnerable and in need of loving care. But on March 26, 2018, the whole family disappeared into thin air. After a frantic search, their SUV was discovered on the edge of a cliff in California and it appears the family was involved in a car crash. But as investigators dug deeper, they discovered something far more sinister. How could such an act of cruelty be committed by two mothers who should have loved and protected their children? What made them commit such a heinous crime? Join me as we dive into the dark and twisted world of Jennifer and Sarah Hart and uncover the horrifying secrets that led to their eventual downfall. South Dakota is a state that has a low population density and is our destination today as we go farther north into the United States. South Dakota, which can be found in the middle of the North American continent, is a large state that features enormous plains, the Badlands National Park, and tremendous natural beauty. As a result, outdoor activities like hunting, Hiking and fishing are extremely well-liked among the people who live in South Dakota. The same goes for vacationers who are hoping to escape the buzz and bustle of the metropolis. And it is in this South Dakota farming community that we are first made acquainted with Jennifer Hart and Sarah Jangler. Right on the outskirts of Big Stone City is the town of Huron, where Jen's mother, Sarah, spent her childhood. Although I call it a city, Big Stone City only has around 500 citizens, which is about the same number of people that could fit inside an Airbus A380. Both of them had upbringings that were quite similar. They were the eldest children in their families, grew up in more rural settings, and achieved decent grades throughout their high school careers. And as time went on, these parallels between the two got stronger. They both came to the conclusion that they wanted to further their education and enroll in college. They shared the goal of entering the teaching profession, but Sarah had her sights set on working with students who had special needs. The two eventually ended up moving from their previous campuses to Northern State University, which is located in Aberdeen in the state of South Dakota. This may have been a coincidence, or it could have been fate. This meant that Jennifer and Sarah first came into contact with one another in 1999, while they were both enrolled in the same class. At the time, none of them had any idea how things would develop from there. From being students to being friends, and then moving on to a love relationship. Due to the fact that both of the ladies had been raised in rural areas and the fact that South Dakota was not the most progressive state in the country, they believed that they were unable to discuss their relationship in a public setting. As a result, Jen and Sarah started their romance behind closed doors, maintaining to those who were close to them that they were just friends. Because of unforeseen circumstances, Jen was unable to continue her education beyond the first semester of her freshman year. On the other hand, Sarah never gave up and is now a certified special education teacher because of her dogged determination. Following Jen's graduation, 
she and Sarah reached the conclusion that they could no longer keep their relationship a secret, which ultimately led to them coming out to their respective families and friends. The couple was aware that some of their acquaintances would have a problem with this, and as a direct result of this, they wound up alienating a significant number of their friends. Therefore, after finishing school and being public with their relationship, the ever-evolving pair made the move to Alexandria, which is located in Minnesota and is well known for the lakeside lifestyle it offers its residents. Both members of the pair found employment at the city's most prominent department store, but although Sari advanced to management, Jen remained in the junior portion of the business. Their time spent working was quite unremarkable and routine. In contrast to Jen, who was known to be outspoken, boisterous, and regarded fairly unpleasantly by many who worked with her, Sarah was a more level-headed and quiet individual. However, yin and yang, the two appeared to pull into each other's strengths and flaws, forming a partnership that was well-balanced. Both Jen and Sarah felt that their lives had begun to lose their zest by the time they were in their mid-twenties, which prompted them to search for fulfillment in other areas. Jen and Sarah worked together at the same place of employment. As a result, the couple came to the conclusion that they should submit an application for adoption eligibility, which presents most people with a beautiful chance and a source of great blessing. It was discovered that Jen and Sarah met the requirements, were able to enjoy their lives to the fullest by having a job and getting an education. Because of this, in 2014, they decided to take in a foster daughter who was 15 years old. Their plan was to care for her until she was 18 years old, at which point she would be able to live on her own. Their new little girl was given the name Lee. It was a joy for Jen and Sarah to spend those first few months with their new daughter, Lee, and they took her on a lot of exciting experiences. They went camping, to amusement parks, and to many different community gatherings and festivities on a regular basis. However, approximately six months after adopting Lee, others who were close to the family began to see how the couple continually complained about the little girl, often making jeers at her routines, attitude, and hobbies. This occurred around the time that Lee was adopted. In addition to this, it appeared as though the young couple was not taking their responsibilities as foster parents very seriously. They even went so far as to inform their fellow employees and co-workers that the new foster daughter had a horrible tendency to pull food out of the garbage to eat it, which, if you ask me, speaks more about them as parents than it does about the child they were meant to be caring for. Despite the fact that the couple's interest in fostering appeared to be waning, the couple's tiny family of three would soon become a family of five with the inclusion of two younger children, a brother and a sister. In addition to this, they intended to adopt a fourth child from a mother who was still pregnant after the baby was delivered. After returning from the first visit, Jen and Sarah walked Lee through some images of the children that they had brought along with them. The couple displayed a great deal of enthusiasm although Lee's passion appeared to be for nothing in particular. And then, exactly one week later, Lee was driven to what she believed to be a regular session with her therapist. On the other hand, when she arrived there, 
She was informed that Jen and Sarah would not be coming back to fetch her. There was neither a farewell nor an explanation offered for this choice. They'd left the young girl behind yet again, completely removing her from the secure atmosphere in which she'd been growing up. They finalized the adoption of three more children in 2006, which was exactly two years after they had returned Lee to the foster care system. Abigail, age two, Hannah, age four, and Marcus, age seven, were the children in question. These children fell into a number of statistical categories that made it more challenging to find a home for them, one of which was their race, which, unfortunately, is a significant factor in the succession rates associated with foster care. Because of the terms and circumstances of the adoption, they had to be adopted together, which made it more difficult to find suitable homes for them. It was at this time that Jen Hart started making consistent posts on Facebook. She kept a journal of their first night together as a family of five, which shockingly featured the following mishaps. Urinating on the walls, pooping on the walls, falling down, and even requiring the Heimlich maneuver to be performed. This all seemed extremely chaotic for the first night. And although Jin stated that the children were disobedient, ill-behaved, and troubled, she claimed that she and her partner were devoted to healing the children over time, saying that if not us, then who will? This whole situation sounded quite chaotic, and it was only the first night. And even though it was evident that caring for three children was going to be a strain for Jen and Sarah, just two years later they were once again looking to add to their family through adoption. This application was ultimately granted approval, and in the spring of 2008, the couple was presented with three additional small children to care for. Devon, who was five years old, Jeremiah, who was four, and Sierra, who was three, were the three children. Complications emerged after the addition of three additional family members, as a result of which the relationships within the family began to show signs of strain. Hannah had gone up to classes with bruises on her legs, and when questioned by one of her teachers, she revealed that one of her moms had beaten her with a belt. Towards the end of that year, the pair would be summoned to school for abuse claims. Hannah had shown up to classes with bruises. Both Jen and Sarah pretended to be unaware of the situation and suggested that perhaps she had been injured while playing. Despite the fairly unusual fact that no charges were brought as a consequence of this occurrence, all three of the children who were attending school were removed from their classes not long after it occurred. They were not readmitted until social services were told about the situation. After completing the legal process of adopting the last three children, Jen regularly turned to social media in order to show the world the somewhat unique family that she and her partner had created. The family now included two white lesbian mothers and six black children. Jen stayed at home with the children while Sarah continued to work in retail to provide for the family. When Jen was not at home with the children, she would frequently take them to what she referred to as transformation festivals. These were gatherings that featured music, dancing, yoga, and other activities that may run for several days. Because of this shift in their way of life, the family decided to move from Minnesota to Oregon in 2013, 
where they could concentrate on finding a community that welcomed them and where they would be geographically close to their favorite bands and musicians. Not long after the move, Jen and Sarah went ahead and tied the knot. Taking Sarah and the children's decision to adopt Jennifer's surname as Hart. It was at this point that an explosion of entries about Jen's family appeared on the meticulously curated internet feed that she had built. She would upload images of them participating in various activities, such as attending festivals, tending to their garden and house, and engaging in other pursuits. The majority of Jen's postings were holistic in nature and centered on the principles of love, acceptance, and community. Additionally, the family was frequently seen attending events such as festivals, rallies, and even demonstrations. The posts that Jen made made it seem as though they were a really modern and content family, and it garnered a lot of likes. When it came to the hearts, the general public's perspective was that the two moms had done the right thing by protecting their adopted children and, of course, that they were the ideal family. This was suppressed at all times. This performative conduct is best demonstrated in a video that was taken at the Cherished Festival in 2013. In the video, Devon is seen sporting his free hop sign and getting on stage in front of a big crowd in order to offer the musician an emotional embrace. Offline government data, on the other hand, started to present a totally different picture. These children began to tell instructors that they had been confined to doors and left without food, which led to their stealing from other students at the school. The school began to detect injuries in these children, and they also began to tell teachers that they had been imprisoned indoors. Abigail also stated that Jen had accused her of stealing and punished her by putting cold water over her head and then hitting her with the palm of her hand when she did not comply with Jen's demands. However, prior to any in-depth examination being able to be carried out, all six of the children were taken out of school, and the family made the decision to homeschool them instead. In a short amount of time after these informants ran, the family started getting in touch with Child Protective Services. They stated that Jen managed the family like a boot camp and that the children appeared to fear her, which was a very perverse detail. They also stated that the youngsters seemed to respect Jen. On the other hand, Jen allegedly denied the children meals and would only reward them if they posed for her Facebook photographs or did what she requested. Photographers who worked with the hearts frequently noted how, during picture sessions, the children would smile and appear cheerful. But as soon as the shoot was finished, the youngsters would revert back to their unhappy and lifeless selves. In the end, the CPS would talk to these youngsters about their families, and despite the fact that each interview would be conducted separately, the children's responses would be eerily identical. They have all denied that any kind of mistreatment happened. It was beginning to look more and more likely that the information that Life Jan had written about on the internet was an elaborate hoax, and those who were closest to the family were beginning to understand it now. When this picture of Devon went viral in 2014, it brought the family to the attention of the general public. He would go on to become famous as the little child who hugged a police officer at a Black Lives Matter demonstration. 
The incident received so much media coverage that it was eventually shown on multiple news networks as well as Saturday Night Live. It was very clear from Jin's social media that she craved attention throughout her whole life. But finally, in 2016, she deleted all of her social media accounts, only to return the following year to assert that the people in their immediate environment could not comprehend their alternative and progressive way of life. During the break, they made the decision to relocate to Woodland, which is located in Washington. They chose to act at this moment because it was convenient for them to do so. They thus proceeded stealthily so as not to alarm the CPS, who were becoming more concerned about the situation. They would ultimately locate a roomy farmhouse in the countryside of Washington State with two floors, and Jen's Facebook updates would start up again. After this, pictures of the children began to reappear and Jen attempted to go back to her old attention-seeking postings. Despite this, abuse continued to take place behind the scenes, to the point that Hannah Hart, who was 15 years old at the time, climbed out of her bedroom window in the middle of a sweltering night in July and fled to the house of her neighbor. A youngster who appeared to be in distress knocked on Donna and Bruce D. Cobb's door, which caused them to wake up. She pleaded with them to give her food and asked them to let her stay away from her house. And not too much longer after that, they could attack the rest of the Hart family while they're looking for her. And naturally, there is no reason to be astonished. Hannah's actions were explained away by Jennifer, who said that Hannah was lying to garner attention for herself. In a very short amount of time following this, a call was placed to Child Protective Services on the incident. V. There are certain children who, in my opinion, are being subjected to severe maltreatment. Okay, because my daughter's house is literally directly next door to yours. I'm going to tell you the address of her residence. So, what exactly is going on over there? The other night, a little girl sprang out of a window on the second floor onto the roof descended to the ground below and ran to my daughter, who was standing on the ground below. And it is around two in the morning right now. Pleading with them to aid her, pleading with them to help her. And when they came looking for her, she begged my daughter not to let them know she was there when they discovered they were looking for her. And ultimately, my daughter's husband communicated the news to him. After that, she called all four of the children at a later time and asked them to confirm that everything was well. They were all standing at attention as though they were on the verge of passing out from their fear. In addition, I believe that something extremely significant is taking place there. These children have my utmost care as a human being. The decals were sent a letter of apology the very following day which purportedly came from Hannah and was written in her own handwriting. On the other hand, the phrasing and vocabulary chosen do not completely match the perspective of a girl. The Dakars didn't want to become involved in any of the arguments that were going on in the neighborhood, but this particular event made Donna feel extremely uneasy. Consequently, as a direct result of this, she started keeping an eye on the family. Her journal had entries of youngsters being sent to their rooms, having their blinds kept closed non-stop, 
and suffering from a severe shortage of food and malnutrition. And very quickly after this, Devant was the next youngster to approach them at their front door. In addition, he improved the coherence and subtlety of his communication by asking the decals for food and requesting that they hide a care package at the boundary of their land, away from the view of his parents. In addition to this, he confirmed that Hannah's allegations were accurate, and he urged her family to get in touch with social services. The social health services team was quite worried, and on March 23, 2018, they took action by going to the family's home to offer their assistance. On the other hand, when they arrived, there was no one to answer the door. When we returned three days later, there was new information that raised further concerns. The automobile had driven through a tiny wall, which resulted in rubble and cinder blocks being spread over the driveway. The driveway was now empty, and the truck that belonged to the family could no longer be seen. It seemed as though the family had to get going quickly in order to get out of there. Concerning the stoppage, Donna got a terrible sensation. She was aware of the reason for their flight. That should have been evident. Nevertheless, in spite of the fact that she had her doubts, she was not ready for the events that occurred two days earlier, on March 24, 2018. The six children that Sarah and Jen had obtained via adoption were escorted into the family vehicle. They told them that they were going on a road trip, which was something that they did frequently, but it was never done in such a sudden manner before. Jen Hart jumped into the driver's seat of the car, and a few seconds later, she drove the family away in a haste, which ultimately led to her crashing through the wall. In contrast to her typical boasting, there were no internet updates about their road trip. Instead, their phones would ping at several towers along the coastal roadways traveling south as they traveled from Washington to Oregon and then into California. They needed to refuel, so they made a pit stop at a convenience store along the road. In addition, the children were never seen at any of these gas stations since they were kept hidden inside the vehicle at all times. Jennifer was spotted by a surveillance camera while shopping at a grocery store on March 25, the day before the child welfare agency was scheduled to visit their vacant home. In the end, the pair made their way to a Walmart in California, where Sarah purchased a huge bottle of Benadryl. Benadryl is an anti-estrogen that can have significant adverse effects, such as sleepiness. After that, Sarah went back to the van. And, as she was making supper for the family, she put Benadryl tablets in their sandwiches. The youngest member of the family, 19-year-old Marcus, received the maximum amount, which was around 20 pills. In the meantime, Jen was working her way through several drinks. This is not consistent with who I am. She wasn't much of a drinker. But it was clear that things were different today. Sarah and Jen went back to their seats, and this time Jen was driving. The youngsters had been tricked into believing that they had been fed. The family left Walmart in the early hours of March 26 after having around five beers, and Sarah continued to read through her phone as they drove down the coast for the remainder of the trip. And all the while this was going on, 
Sarah was on her phone looking up solutions to queries such as how much Benadryl would it take to kill a woman who weighs 130 pounds? How long does it take to die from hypothermia and drowning at the same time? And does it pain to die? After these searches, Sarah took 42 Benadryl tablets on her own, and then, as the rest of her family was traveling farther down the coast, they pulled over at a cliff near Westport, California. The youngsters were still asleep and delirious in the rear of the family pickup, where they had been sitting without seatbelts. But only for a scant one hundredth of a second. And just as the calmness of the surrounding environment had begun to take hold, Jen broke the stillness by pressing her foot down on the accelerator. The vehicle was speeding up, moving towards the brink of a 100-foot cliff, and gathering speed when it suddenly careened off the edge and fell to the ground below with the family still inside. At 90, the truck crashed into the rock-strewn water, which was waiting for them at the bottom. The it. At 415 p.m. On March 26, 2018. Law enforcement personnel were notified of an automobile wreckage that was located at the base of a cliff in the vicinity of Westport. After arriving on the site, police and fire department personnel discovered the overturned automobile. The bodies of Abigail Jeremiah and Marcus Hard were found in the water, both partially submerged beneath the surge and floating on top of the tide. After the car was raised, the bodies of two adults were found inside, bringing the total number of family members found to five. They had all perished as a result of blunt force damage sustained during the crash. This case does not involve any sort of mystery, surprise, or trial. Both Jennifer and Sarah's acts were blatant and clearly purposeful on their parts. A community would be left to mourn the deaths of six young children throughout the course of time and in the aftermath of this horrible event. Because not all of the children had been found, there was still a sliver of optimism that perhaps the three that had gone missing had managed to stay alive. As a result, missing person reports for Hennessy Era and Devant Hard were disseminated to the appropriate authorities. Sierra's body, on the other hand, was found floating in the area around the accident site only two weeks after the incident. And then, some two months later, the authorities found a little foot and determined that it belonged to Hannah Hart. Devon's body has never been found. However, it is most likely that it was carried out to sea by the currents after he was washed away. At first, the authorities suspected that this may have been the result of some terrible freak accident. It's possible that the brakes failed, or perhaps they were just too weary to drive safely. On the other hand, there was a great deal of evidence that pointed to the fact that Jen and Sarah were to blame for this happening, and that it was an act of premeditated malice. The first piece of evidence was not so much evidence as the absence of evidence. There was not a single skid mark to be found at the location. Consequently, the police came to the conclusion that the automobile had not made any attempt to brake, but had, rather, been moving at a rapid pace. This was supported by the black box that was installed in the truck, which revealed that the automobile had momentarily come to a halt before swiftly accelerating just before the collision. Even though it took many months to find the dead, 
The inquiry into the events that led up to this catastrophe started on the same day of the accident. In the course of their investigation into the life of the Hart family, they discovered a home devoid of any signs that its six offspring had ever inhabited it, as well as any signs of the joys that should have been associated with childhood. There were no games or toys, and the picture frames that were displayed on the walls and on the mantelpiece were all devoid of contents. The autopsy performed on the children revealed that all of them, with the exception of one, were emaciated and underweight. Based on their measurements, they were around the size of a kid who was around three years younger than their actual ages. It has come to light that Jenna's portrayal of a healthy, happy existence on the internet was an elaborate hoax that was intended to harm others. These unfortunate youngsters were put on display for her amusement and then ignored until they had demonstrated sufficient improvement in their abilities. And in a sickening twist of irony, the fact that she had aggressively attempted to express her role as a wonderful mother would instead lead to her being one of the most widely recognized examples of a horrible mother. Nobody can ever comprehend why these two mothers made the decision to take the lives of six innocent children to the fullest extent possible. They were being pursued by child protection services, and their mounting debt was a direct result of the fact that they were caring for such a big family. However, there is no reason that this terrible event should have occurred. It is natural that they were overwhelmed by the fact that they had so many children. But the solution that they chose to this problem was by far the worst of all the solutions that were accessible to them. Their previous deeds were also not without wrongdoing leading up to this day. And in the end, they were responsible for the deaths of six innocent people. All of this occurred due to the fact that they lacked the courage to confront the repercussions of their careless acts. Because of this, we ought to keep these children in mind rather than others. Abigail, Hannah, Marcus, Sierra, Jeremiah, and Devante. They were all young people who had been taught the abbreviation since they were children. When they were engaged in a program that was supposed to make their lives better, however, they became puppets for the pursuit of individual wealth. They were let down by their caretakers, as well as by the system that put them in that position and, of course, their terrible caregivers. If Jennifer and Sarah had been referred to Child Protective Services, CPS, sooner in the two states in which they had previously lived, perhaps the outcome would have been different. And with regard to Jennifer and Sarah, these two ladies presented themselves as law-abiding persons who want to assist others during their difficult times of need. And despite the fact that they were initially successful in their efforts to construct this mask, the last deed in their lives would forever tarnish them as cruel, uncaring, inattentive, wicked parents who were master manipulators not just toward themselves, but also against everyone else in their immediate environment. It is a terrible thing that these six youngsters will eventually end up crossing paths with them. Covering this particular instance was really challenging, not just in terms of the number of lives that were killed, but also in terms of all of the potential and youth that were lost. Although we are all aware that life may often be unjust, these children deserved so much more. In the end, 
There is no glimmer of hope to be found in this narrative. And with that, I'm afraid this will about wrap up today's episode. Sorry about that. On the other hand, I cannot thank you enough for your attention to our case today. If you found this case to be thought-provoking or entertaining, please remember to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you haven't already done so. As usual, we would appreciate it if you would leave your feedback in the box provided below. And you can count on me to return here very soon to upload another case. However, until such time as it arrives, do not forget to look out for one another. Goodbye.